Listener Production. Howdy, you are listening to Part B of the Howie Games featuring cycling trailblazer Phil Anderson. Let the stories begin. Phil, you're a hard man to find too much about, but I spoke to various people, including the great cycling commentator Matty Keenan and a few others, and read a few things. I need you to put a few urban myths either yes or no to these various next stories I'm going to roll you out. You mentioned Bernard Hinault earlier on um, who went on to win five tours. Yep, five Tour de France. Did you offer him a can <laughs> of drink during a stage? Yeah, it was my uh, my very first uh, Tour de France <clears throat> and uh, it was that particular day that I was talking about, yep. climbing up uh, the day I got the yellow jersey. Yep. And um, I'd actually met Hino uh, the year before I was an amateur or two years before I was an amateur and uh, I got I had won the amateur Grand Prix de Nations, which is a time trial down the south of France, and he won the pro version on the same day. And so when they do the presentations, we're on the stage at the same time. And so I'd actually met him uh, before, but when we were riding together in that last kilometres and I was trying to put him into the fence yep. or trying to slow him down, I didn't ask him if he recognised me from that two years previous. However, <laughs> 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 a couple of, of kilometres earlier, you know, it was a hot day and I'd noticed, you know, I'd never been in, in such uh, <laughs> salubrious company before. Uh, I remember um, noticing that the riders in the front were sharing drinks, you know, they'd get a drink from the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Now the riders will worry about the doping and, yes. you know, um, you know, suspicious, you know, whether there's, uh, you know, riders getting past, uh, you know, polluted drinks. And yep. so but back then you'd see somebody with a Coke or a drink, um, you know, and I saw somebody <clears throat> uh, crack a fresh can of Coke and hand it out and I was on the side of the road so I took grabbed that can, it was all frosty in the outside and I was about to swig it and I looked over next to me and this guy, he know was there and he was, he didn't look in great state, uh, you know, he was suffering a lot, he had like froth coming out of his mouth and he didn't look like the poster that I had in my wall back home, that's for, <laughs> that's for damn sure. And so I thought, shit, he looks like he needs a drink, you know, and I turned to him and offered this, you know, as a gesture and uh, a coke a coke and so you know and we were like you know there's only like 10 of us left and uh you know you could hit the crowds and it was just going crazy and he looked at me with this bloody coke and and at that point i think he thought that maybe i was somebody out of the crowd <laughs> relating back to what you were saying before yeah. did he drink the coke no he took he just knocked it out of my oh, hand so you, you didn't know? get the coke I either i didn't get the coke either the prick you know <laughs> All right, but, so. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, first myth is uh, it's true, right? Yeah, so, so that, I offered a coke. I offered him a coke. That is a true story. Then, uh, second myth. Um, I can't remember who told me this one. Someone from the striking fraternity, and I, I actually can't believe this one is true. That there was a setup at some point in a race somewhere, and you all pretended to crash. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I'm not sure you'd see that nowadays, but back. 
So this back, is true back, as well? Yeah. It was on the uh, the last stage, actually, or maybe the stage before last. Of the tour? Of the tour. And, uh, you know, the first week of the tour, there's always lots of pressure. Everybody wins, wants to win win a stage or win the Tour de France, and so there's pressure on, you know. Uh uh, second week, it's all sorted out. By the time you get to the third week, at least the tail end of the, the third week, everybody knows their position in the race. You know, you're not going to have any heroics. You're not going to have guys, mm-hmm. you know, who are two hours down. They're not going to bloody win the tour or, you know, even, you know, try and win a stage. And so there's always the the, uh, the spirit in the bunch is a lot better than in the, the opening week. The opening week, everybody's just trying to kill each other. The last week, everybody's just more family. And so... Uh, you know, the stages used to be quite a bit longer as well. Like the, the tour often used to be over 4,000 kilometres. Now it's, you know, and it's it's possibly more exciting, the stages now. So how, how long would a, a long stage a be? A long stage would be 250, 300 kilometres. Oh, yeah, Yeah. I remember one t- time we had a stage at 340 kilometres. Oh, started, started, come on. Started, started in uh, Lyon or Sanitia and went to Transmontana in Switzerland. How it was long, right across. So we went from the centre of France over bloody went to the How long is it? A 340? Oh, it takes like uh, eight hours. Jeez. It's just bloody uh, terrible, boring bloody oh. days, you know. And so thank goodness now, especially for television, you know, it's a lot shorter. They're shorter, more dynamic, um, you know, stimulates attacks. You know, people think that, you know, with a shorter t- stage, people actually think they can win a stage from the beginning, you know, because they, like away. this year they had a 60K stage. It was great. It was yeah. animated. It was fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, it was back, back aboard those bloody um, boring days. And so to stop us from going to falling asleep, you know, the riders would do silly shit, you know, just in the bone, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. You know, if it was raining, we'd all stop under a bridge or something and wait for the shower to pass or, <laughs> you know, we'd, uh, you know, we'd, we'd, um, you know, it would piss off the organize. You know, the the uh, the organization by uh, you know just all uh, stopping and turning right down a side street or something. You know, and suddenly, you know, the, the director is like in front of the race, like waving to the crowds, looks around and sees this. <laughs> Where's his right no bike race gone? <laughs> you know, but yeah, there's one day we said, okay, you know, there's like. A few of the uh, patrons of the bunch got together. Okay, this this is bloody ridiculous today. Let's all stop and lie down on the ground. It's been a huge crash. So sure enough, you know, right, right just before a corner, we all stop and get off and bloody lie on the ground with the bikes in the air. Like you've crashed. Yeah, like we've crashed, you know. And suddenly the helicopter comes down and the, all the cars come to a screaming halt and the mechanics are running out of the cars with all their wheels, you know, thinking, Jesus, it's been a huge crash. Ever seen that? You know, 150 guys on the deck, you know. <laughs> so, you know, the ambulance buddy comes screaming down. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, so myth two. Myth two? Myth two. Prove well, it. I don't think you'd see that. No. But they do s- stupid stuff now, like the champagne, you know, on the last yeah. day. You know, it's ridiculous. Okay, third myth. Uh, I think I read about this one. It might have been online, which is never, you don't know if these things are true. A teammate who was crook in the guts and needed uh, maybe had a touch of diarrhoea coming. Yes. And you gave him some advice as to what to do. Yeah, that's right. It's a uh, <clears throat> a story I've had to tell a number of times and, yeah, there was a, a young, you know, I was my third Tour de France and uh, one of my teammates, the young Sean, Sean Yates, a pom, he uh, he'd had trouble uh, the night before and, uh, you know, wasn't even sure he could start you know, 
I don't know if it was midway through the tour. And, um, you know, he just had a really quick guts. He had the runs and and, uh, and he came to me, you know, mid-stage and he said, Phil, I, I've, oh, my God, i got a, you know, I've got terrible stomach cramps. I think I've just got a bloody, um, I've, got a, I've got a stop and we're moving along pretty well. And, uh, you know, because... Uh, you know, if you've got to go number one, it's not such an issue. But, you know, if you've got to take a dump, yes. it's, it's a little more complex. <laughs> yes, so, I so, so. So, um, so anyway, you know, we're going along at a pretty good clip. So uh, I said, no, really, you can't stop here. Uh, you know, you just have to, you know, you'll have to hang on. He said, mate, I can't. And uh, he said, uh, he, I, I told him, well, I heard once that, you know, when I first turned pro, I, mean, I remember marvelling at the story that I'd heard from one of my old teammates that, um, you know, something to do with a hat. You've got to bloody put the hat down there and <laughs> and uh, do the job. and, and uh, Into the hat. Do it like that, you know. While you're still going? While you're still riding, yeah. <laughs> Normally you'd stop, you know, uh, you know, go behind a tree or something, but uh, the pace was on, you know, we're doing 50, 60 k's an hour and... Uh, so uh, so he said, you know, he said, oh, it's really bad. And I said, well, if you want to give it a crack, you can use my hat. You know, I used to carry these bloody little <laughs> caskets. So um, I passed it to him and um, and uh, he was looking over at me, you know, we're all going along and and he eyeballs me and he says, uh, just like this with a hat, you know, he's waving the hat. And I said, yeah, down the, down the shorts. So he bloody takes his hat and, uh, you know, puts it down the front of his shorts you know, because we've got the, like those bib shorts on. Yep. So he's you know, he got it down there. And other people, other riders, uh, you know, are starting to notice <laughs> that he's uh, either having a good scratch or something, you know. And and I, and I, I'm looking over there, I'm sort of nodding to him, you know, how's it going? Like, you know, you finished yet? He's down there. And I look at his face and he's kind of contorting his face. I say, geez, I can't believe he's doing this, you know. And, 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 and you know, everybody's like starting to understand what he's doing and, and sort of drifting away from him. You know, we're sort of a bit of a downhill and it was kind of coasting. And, uh, you know, and he's down there with his, you know, one hand on the bar, the other one down his shorts. And finally he, he sort of, he says, yeah, now what? You know, and I thought, oh, shit. Now I, can't, I can't remember exactly what. I said, just when you... Pull the hat out, just follow through and give it a bit of a scrub on your way out, you know. <laughs> and, and everybody's like looking, going, what the hell's going on here, you know. And, um, you know, because he's kind of drifting a little bit in, his, uh, in the line he's taking. And finally he gets out this bloody hat, uh, you know, and it's got a full steamer on there, you know. <laughs> and, he's, and so he's taking this and he says, what now? He says, well, just... I'm not going to take it back. Just, <laughs> I don't need my just, hat. Just fling it. So he's taken the peak and he's just flung it and it's kind of pirouetting through the air and it's sort of sailing off oh. sort of behind the crowds. And I look over my shoulder and there's like 50 people jumping for that hat. Oh, no. <laughs> Mate. Well, that's the third myth that you've confirmed. Yeah, well, there you go, you see. I want to, I want to read something to you now, um, which... It struck a real chord with me, Phil, and I was reading this last night and I show my wife some pictures 
forgive me, but I need to read you this. Not only was Phil Anderson a multiple tour and Giro stage winner and classics monster, he was without question an unassuming style icon. That majestic mane and the Oakley eye shades will be forever a signature of classic 80s fashion. Skippy wasn't afraid to throw as many tones of fluoro as existed back in the age of hypercolour T-shirts into his mix, enabled somewhat by the hodgepodge that was the jersey at the time. Red booties and blue gardening gloves. No worries, mate. Chuck a bucket on my head too. I'll pull it off. Somehow it worked. People need to Google your name because... You were, as it says here, a style icon. <laughs> you had the long hair and some real rude gear that you used to get around. Yeah. But you pulled it off. Oh, uh, well, I mean, some would say I pulled it off. Others would say, yeah. <laughs> it was the big hair 80s. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you look cool. You still look cool now today when I look at that. Uh, <laughs> Everything uh, old is new again. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was, uh, it was a period there where. Oh, I was in the late 80s. I was on a uh, Dutch team and they had a lot of Italian sponsors and the Italians are very flamboyant in their um, choice of colour, mm. you know, and a lot of it was, um, a lot of it was, you know, team gear and, and you know, we just wore what we were given. But, um, you know, it's because we had Italian sponsors that they didn't, uh, they didn't care. Right. You know, purple will go with buddy green, <laughs> you know. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But, uh, yeah, like now everything is... Everything's for television and, um, you know, everything's so calculated. Uh, you know, the Sky, you know, the Sky team, for yeah. example, you know, they spend millions on just um, designing the look and feel of their jerseys and how it looks, you know, from the helicopter sort of thing, you mm. know, and how it sits in the bunch and how it looks from a distance and, you know, how it looks on the podium against different sort of backdrops and all that. You know, there was none of that. Well, it, wasn't, I, it wasn't calculated like that back uh, back in those days. I think looking at some of that stuff, it's far better than Team Sky. I reckon you rode, um, you ride in 13 tours? 13 tours. 13 tours, tours yeah. And you won two stages but 10 years apart, which is mm. uh, I think what separates top-line athletes is those that can continue to perform over such a long period of time and have longevity, which are... You obviously did. Um, is it still a special thing to you now to be a stage winner of the Tour de France? Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, it would have been nice to, to win more stages. But, yep. uh, you know, to be able to come back, you know, as a senior member of the peloton and, and win, uh, you know, in a breakaway, it was um, it was it was great, you know. Like What's was, it like when you cross the line as a, a stage winner in the Tour? Oh, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of... A lot of work. I mean, you know, everybody there wants to win a stage, uh, you know, sometime in their career. And, uh, you know, it's what gets you up. Uh, you know, it's what gets you to the start line uh, in hope that, uh, you know, you'll get to do that uh, one day during your career. It's uh, it's huge. I mean, you know, the ultimate would, would be to win the tour like uh, Cadell had done. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that... that takes a whole whole new sort of a uh, whole nother level. I was trying mm. to get a gauge on um, how well known your exploits were at home when you were when you were racing and I came across a beer ad for twoies. Yeah. I feel like a twoies or two um, and there's a song about you and to me at that point I thought wow it was obviously a pretty big time because if you got two his ads about you, feel things are going okay. It's a great ad too. 
One day he'll make world champion The surest his name's Anderson The fastest man who ever rode two wheels That'd be unreal How do you feel? Can you imagine how he feel at the time? How do you feel? I feel like a two-ease I feel like a two-ease I feel like a two-ease or two it was a good ad and it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, we made that in 85. Was, you know, I was doing really well. Um, we actually squeezed that in between a couple of races. We filmed it in Europe. Right. Uh, we put it, you know, there was a, I had one week between um, the, the Dolphin A and the Tour of Switzerland and uh, we filmed it then. And I actually won the Dolphin A and I won the Tour of Switzerland and we did the ad in the middle. So it was, um, it was a big three weeks. <laughs> and then like uh, it was like two weeks off and then we had the Tour de France. Right. So, and uh, were you paid in money or in twoies or? Oh, a bit of both, you know, <laughs> <laughs> a bit of both. But, I mean, they didn't really play it. They, they played it in country Victoria. They didn't play it in Melbourne. They played it in Sydney. Right. Uh, Queensland, yeah. But, uh, yeah, every now and then it seems to... Circulate. It, there, is there a line in there about? Um, I should have listened to it again this morning. Is there a line in there about seventeen straight wins? Yeah, yeah six, what does straight, that relate to? Victories. Uh, possibly, I think I had seventeen wins. Well, they weren't straight victories, right. but uh, in a season, you okay. know, it, was, uh, it was a big, it was a big, uh, okay. a big year. That must have been 84, 85. Yeah, no, it was bloody, it was huge. More of Phil in a moment. The last episode of the Howie Games was our first attempt at a live podcast in front of an audience featuring one-of-a-kind Sam Willoughby, a BMX champion whose life was changed in a single moment when he suffered a spinal cord injury. Um, I went into my first Olympic Games self-coached at that point. I was doing all my own training. Um, I went and lived in an apartment under the Storybridge Hotel in Brisbane by myself in the lead-up just because I couldn't ride the tracks at, by my house in America because they were blocked off for the Americans. And so I did a lot of it on my own. And I think just at the last sort of hurdle of it all, I just, it just got to me a bit, the, the, the moment of it. How and, do you um, um, I think just, just being there and um, realising that it's, you know, this, this day is here and um, it's, you know, test day. Like today is, um, at that point at 20 years old, I felt like a gold medal defined my life and um and I rode like like that yeah so do you look back on that now like actually at the time when you walked away from London with a silver medal in your mind a success or failure uh success yeah yeah I think initially when I came across the finish line I'd say I felt failure because I was just like I got second um but then you realize the moment of it you stand up there on the on the podium and you know in your Australian tracksuit and um go back to the village and, you know, all the encouragement and um, probably one of the most memorable things from the London Olympics was when I came into my room, I had three rubbish bags full of mail from kids. And um, that was, that hit me, like, in a way that made me realise, this is big, like, this is a big moment, there's a lot of people watching this. and um, But it was special because it just felt like it was not that long ago that I would have written one of those letters, you know. Thanks to all the positive, heartwarming feedback you sent through on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at MarkHoward03 about that episode with Sam. I'm glad the episode touched you as it did me. Alrighty, back to Phil. When you were coming to the back end of your career, which is what you're talking about now, um, 
you were joined in a team by a young Lance Armstrong who's gone on to dominate the sport and, you know, he's seen as a, a great figure and a, a, a maligned figure all in one. What was he like as a young man coming in? Was it, was it with Motorola? Yep. Right. Yeah, so uh, I was uh, my last four years. I was on Motorola. In the last two years, um, Lance joined the team. He came over. Uh, this pre cancer for him. Yeah, this is all pre cancer. So yeah, so this is in the nineties. In ninety six, he came down with cancer. So it's quite a bit uh, before then. So he'd just come out of triathlon, a very successful uh, mm. triathlete uh, through the late eighties. And into the 90s, and uh, cycling. <clears throat> I think swimming was his uh, with his was his strongest leg, and then uh, he got into running. The last thing he got into was cycling, and then once he took up cycling, um, you know that really he really seemed to uh, embrace that. So yeah, this young kid. I remember my first. Um, my first memory of Lance was we were having a training camp in uh, Northern California and I was, I was flying from Australia and he'd come up from Aust- from Texas and uh, we were at the airport and we had the team bus to sort of pick me up and I was pretty buggered because I'd done the, uh, the uh, trip across the Pacific and I was at the back of the bus sort of snoozing and, uh, you know, we went around and picked up Lance from his terminal and uh, I was like just kind of dozing and then suddenly I hear this this uh, person going, Phil Anderson, I don't believe finally I'm on the team with you. You know, and he's this young kid walking straight down the, uh, down the aisle of the bus <laughs> to me and he's just, you know, banging off all these statistics, you know, buddy, you've been pro for so many years and his first team was this and you won that and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he was so excited. And he, he came right up in my space <laughs> and he sat right down next to me like, you know, I felt like I felt like a dead rat, but he <laughs> after my flight, he's just banging on about, you know, fucking what a hero he thought I was, and blah blah blah, and oh, geez, can we be in the same room? We're going to training camp, you know, blah blah blah. And I go, Jesus, who is this guy? You know, and um, no, I knew I knew of him from the year before. We'd done a a, um, a race in uh, the east coast of the states, and and he'd won a stage, and I was. I'd seen him and thought, shit, who is this kid, you know? Everybody's like, oh, he's the triathlete. And, uh, but anyway, he said, yeah, you know, and, and uh, he said, yeah, and I was reading about you and you've just uh, gone through an ugly divorce, haven't you? He said, my mum's just done the same. You know, she's going to come to the rest day of the training camp. You've got to meet my mum. <laughs> right. Could have been the next in line. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that was that was my first meeting of Lance, and um, yeah, we used to, we you know, we used to have a lot of fun together, and um, you know, he was a young, you know, he had so much enthusiasm and um, you know, so much energy as a young kid. You know, you'd turn up to a race and and uh, you sit down and have a team meeting, and you know, Lance, we think you can win this race today, and and so you go out and the. In the field, you go out and, and do the race and every lap he'd come to me, can I go yet, can I go yet? I say, no, 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 we're going to wait for the last lap or something, you know, or two laps to go. He said, and every lap he'd come up, Phil, can I go, you know? He's like, no, no, shit, mate, just take it easy, you know. We'd look, let us do some bit more work here and uh, we'll set you up, you know. And, oh, no, I want to. Just uh, beautiful to watch, you know, and you know, obviously he got into some deep shit later on, but... Um, 
you know, which which was uh, pretty disappointing. But yeah, you know, in that, in that era, we were pretty bloody close. Um, it's a tough thing because I, he was the reason I used to watch Tour de France. He's the reason I got into being yeah, interested. Yeah, I was a believer. You know, obviously, there's only uh, Phil. Can I tell you? I was on radio yeah. the day he went on Oprah. Yeah. And I was doing a, a sports show on Triple M called Dead Sea Legends. I was like, nah, he's fine. I I, I was yeah. well, I as was big a believer, believer so as there was. was. Phil Liggett. We yeah. were all believers. I was disgusted with and Phil. And the skeptics were always saying, nah, nah, the guy's nailed. And I remember that Hamilton book came out. Yeah. I was reading that thinking, I don't know, you know, there's seemed like there was some sort of conspiracy or something. So going how, on how, did you, how did you feel? Because I can remember it clearly. How did you feel the first two minutes of that Oprah show when you just said, yep, yep? Yep, yep, to every possible substance known to science. Um, look, you know, I mean, the, I think the uh, the coin started to drop leading up to it, you know, because uh, USADA was starting to do, yeah. you know, the big investigation and, and you know, this these things were kind of lining up, you know, and there was, there was bloody smoke. And uh, I guess it wasn't until that show that, uh, you know, I had to hear it come out of his words to, to really... It was like a punch in the face, I remember, it because it was just... <laughs> oh, like... yeah. Oh, yeah, there were a few of us that were. Yeah, yeah, I knew <laughs> you know, Because then you have to bloody... Um, you have to sw- it's pretty hard to swallow when you've been, you know... I felt like I was the only person left standing believing in it, you yeah. know, and I was trying to convince, you know, the, the media that, uh, no, no, look, it's just a bloody... You know, they're just out to get him, the French. The so lady. was there, did you, were you, did you see much of that in, in your time in cycling, doping and Look, illegal it was always, substances? You know, it was something that uh, you heard about and it was something that was sort of in the shadows, I guess. Um, but when I was riding, when I was racing, I never believed those around me were. Right. You know, I... I didn't feel like I was being cheated by riding with these guys. Um, you know, I knew you guys used to take some shit for for certain events, criteriums, you know, exhibition events and things like that that weren't really races. Um, you know, and I'd just bug it if I know why they would because you know, there was no, you know, they were just exhibition events and things. Mm. Uh, I didn't really understand it, but... Um, you know, for me, I mean, racing, obviously, you know, I was very serious about it, you know, once, you know, once I got the yellow jersey and once you start, you know, taking a role as being a team leader, you know, the responsibilities of going that and, you know, I became very serious in my approach. Uh, but <clears throat> at the same time, you know, another part of my life, another Another leaf in my life was going to start when I retired. I wanted to be healthy. I didn't want to bloody, mm. you know, go where, um, you know, things would be compromised or, you know, like I look at myself now, you know, I'm as, not as fit as what I was back then, but, you know, I'm enjoying life, uh, you know, in a, in a very healthy manner now. And I think it's because, you know, the healthy choices I made back then and, you know, I look around some of my teammates. Um, you know, they're all they're all doing okay. I mean, some have some have, have struggled. A lot, a lot of athletes struggle with retirement. Absolutely. Um, 
but you know, just uh, you know, and some have mental health issues, I guess, because of that sort of transition, or they never really took it well. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's any that I've seen who have suffered, uh, you know, because of you know substance abuse. Yeah, substance abuse. So sitting here now, um, and and we've gone through. You've had a, you had a remarkable career, um, which is only part of your life, and obviously life is treating you bloody well now, which is fantastic. H- how do you reflect on that um, trailblazing life that you had in your sport? Because those that have gone beyond you, I know Greg LeMond sort of talked about the fact, reading a few quotes from him, he was saying, well, you know, Phil showed us that it could be done if you weren't um, a European. How do you reflect on it all now and, and your time in cycling? I think it's, uh, you know, it wasn't something that I was, you know, looking for. Uh, You know, I've never really been one. I mean, it's nice to be first in the race, but I wasn't trying to be the first Australian or the first non-European or, you know, that's all a bit of a toss-up. But, I mean, it it is significant though. Um, My word, it is. I guess. I mean, I you know, I've got some great... Uh, victories or palmeries and and um, you know made a lot of good friends throughout the years and and um, you know I feel very fortunate you know I never took anything for granted uh, you know because your career can be over in a heartbeat and you know I retired in my terms and and uh, you know in good healthy state still reasonably young um, and. Yeah, I think uh, you know there's a there's a there's a legacy there, and I think it's already paying off in that there's others that have sort of followed in the footsteps. Um, and yeah, no, for me it was uh, it was like a fairy tale, really, <laughs> like the Cinderella story. Every day was was better than the last, um, you know, and to be able to uh, you know come out of it. You know, to be able to afford a home, a lifestyle where you don't have to um, toil too much. Uh, you know, I feel very, very fortunate. You know, now, you know, it's pretty well taken for granted. Uh, you know, there's there's money in the sport, and you know, you don't have to be world number one or win stages in the Tour de France to be able to make a decent living out of it, which is which is great. And you now are still involved because you take people on cycling tours. Yes, yes, I take people over to Europe to different events. Give me a website. Uh, in Europe. Uh, it's um, philandersoncycling.com.au. Right. So I can jump on there and potentially go on a trip to the Tour de France with you? Yeah. Or oh, the... yeah, we're not doing the Tour de France anymore because there's so many people doing that. Where can it's, I go? It's, uh, you can go to the Tour of Spain. Wow. Um, which is the Vuelta. Yeah, the Vuelta. That's in uh, September. Right. So that'll be, we're not doing it this year. This will be next year. Yep. So we're just sort of transitioning out of the Tour de France and to do other ones, maybe the Giro, which is uh, in springtime. And and people, you, you ride on these tours, obviously. Yep. yep. So I'd get to sit on the bike beside you for yep. 3K ride, before we got uh, to the hills. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> we ride a lot, more, a lot more sedate pace. Right. And, uh, 
than going up that plateau today. What I, a fantastic thing yeah, to be able I'll to... I'll share a Coke with you. Right, and I'll take it as well. <laughs> and you'll give me a hat if yeah. I start to get crooked yeah, guts that's or right. not. I always got a couple of hats in the, in the pocket, <laughs> in the reserve. But, um, yeah, we just take people over there to, uh, you know, share the experience of, of riding some of the... Everywhere loves the mountains. Uh, I don't know why because that's where you suffer most. But, yeah. but um, you know, these mountains are, are sort of monuments of the sport so you can go over there and ride the Tourmalet or Alpe d'Huez or... Um, you know, these, these uh, big mountains and, um, yeah, you don't have to be world champion to get up them. Just go over there and ride and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a totally different culture over there. You know, here where we, you know, you go out in the roads and you're battling against um, yeah. the automobile over there, you're highly respected. You know, it doesn't matter if you're on a on a uh, granny bike or on a, you know, $10,000 uh, racing bike, uh, you know, you're treated in high esteem over there. Because I see it, uh, you know, I, I've thought a few times you get older, well, I'll probably time to stop running and swim or ride a bike to have that lower impact sport. And then, you know, you see what happened. Like you, you had a pretty big shunt yourself, didn't you? Yeah, last year I had a bad fall, broke collarbone, a few ribs, but um, yeah, there was no car involved there. It was right. just, uh, you know, the state of the Great Ocean Road, you might have noticed when you were driving yeah. down here that, uh, you know, there's quite a few bumps and holes and things like that, so... Would you hit a pothole or you don't, don't know? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I was um, knocked unconscious when I hit the road or, you know, hit the side of the road, so it could have been, you know, it could have been a wallaby or, you know, kangaroo or something, I, I, I don't know. You were wearing... But it's a pretty quiet road. You, yeah, were, was, you were wearing a helmet then yeah. as opposed to when you were racing and uh, you're about to answer a question from my young bloke. When I showed him a photo this morning, he's like, Dad, where's his helmet? <laughs> You, you, like, what was that? Little, what, what did you have? That, what was the name of the little cap? The casket. What's the casket? The little material casket going to do if you come <laughs> off your bike? Are you were one of the first that, that rode in yeah, a helmet? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, the casket doesn't do anything. It's, keeps, <laughs> it's uh, just a branding thing for your team, really. Right. Uh, it might keep a bit of sun off the, off the scone. So, uh, what do you think people think when all of a sudden you start riding in a helmet? Uh, it was almost like uh, when you turned pro, it was a rite of passage. You didn't have to wear a helmet, which is ridiculous, really. Mm. Uh, but, you know, that was always kind of because as, as an amateur, you had to wear it, you know, it was part of the regulations. And uh, But you didn't have to wear one training. Uh, but when you were racing, you had to wear one when you were um, as, as an amateur. And in certain countries, you had to as well. If you're racing in Belgium, even as a pro, you had to wear a helmet. But right. in the Tour de France, you didn't have to wear a helmet. And then <clears throat> possibly it was about 82, 83, there was one guy who spoke English in the bunch. He was a Portuguese writer. Uh, Agostino was his surname. He was a good good writer. He'd won stages in, in the Tour de France in the, and in Tour of Spain as well. And uh, and suddenly he wasn't in the race anymore and he'd been killed. He'd been killed in the bloody crash at the finish of a stage and he wasn't wearing a helmet. The finish of a stage in Tour of Portugal, I think. And, you know, he was one guy and suddenly, you know, one of your bloody colleagues isn't mm. there and he's just not there. He's bloody fucking dead. And so um, that really shook me up. You know, I mean, I didn't know him really closely, but if he was at the race, every, every someone would see him and say hi and, you know, have a chuckle. He spoke a little bit of English. I mean, my French, we sort of got through, but, um, yeah, so from that time on, I started wearing the helmet more and more until, I mean, I was such, eventually I made 
decent money out of it because uh, some some uh, companies saw that I was wearing a helmet um, and they came to me and said, would you consider wearing it, uh, a hard shell helmet? Right. You know, and that was uh, cutting edge back then, big bloody thing, you know, like yeah. a whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so... And so, um, yeah, that was uh, that was good. That was uh, yeah, so I started wearing the helmet, and certainly wouldn't consider riding without a helmet now. No, I think we're at the natural conclusion here, Phil, which yep. is where listeners to this show know I have two kids. Um, the big penguin named himself that his actual name is Mac, but that's the way he likes to roll. And he was impressed by your name, Skippy, or the pickle, which is my eight-year-old daughter, Sky. And I ask them in the morning of the person I'm going to speak to, we have a look at a YouTube video or pictures, et cetera. Um, and the first thing he said, Dad, why doesn't he wear a helmet? And I said, well, you should ask him that. And he said, no, no, I've got a different question. Normally I can steer their questions to have some relevance, Phil. Yeah. He was insistent today um, that this is the question he wanted to go with. So I'm not apologising for him. I said, mate, I don't think this is this is something Phil's going to be able to help you with. He said, well, Dad, I don't know until I ask. So this is you, Phil Anderson, facing probably the toughest question you'll get today from the Big Penguin. In a cycle, could oh, you hang on, in a hang cycle? on, hang on. I'll... Here we go. Hi, Phil, Big Penguin here. Because you're such an amazing bike rider, we saw someone riding a unicycle. Could you ride a unicycle? I would like to know if you could ride a unicycle. <laughs> That's what he wanted to know, mate. Uh, Big Penguin wants to know if I can ride a unicycle. <laughs> yes, because we saw a bloke last night riding one. Oh, okay. Um, have you tried one? No. Have no, you? I've tried one. Well, there we go. I've tried one, but I wasn't. It wasn't something that I really embraced. <laughs> put it that way. So, am I telling him you can or you can't? Uh, I'm on the fence. Okay. <laughs> I reckon it's something I could do. Right, if required. Uh, if required. Right. Okay, but I but I wouldn't. Uh, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put a, an egg on my head <laughs> right. or anything like that. I'll, I reckon we practice. Okay. You know, give me a challenge. Right. We okay. expect a video through in the next three months of you <laughs> going down the gradation road on a unicycle. Hey, Phil, mate, I really appreciate your time. Um, often I know. So did the pickle have one? No, no, the pickle didn't. She was uh, she was on the way off to school, so I didn't I didn't get to get one from the pickle. Uh, okay. Um, um, most often I know the people that I sit down with um, yep. and we haven't actually even met before. I've never even interviewed you, which is no. which is strange in this, but you've invited me into your house and you've kept me entertained for, wow, an hour and 40 minutes, yep. which is fantastic. What's it like to sit back and reflect? Oh, no, it's good. I mean, you know, a lot of my life is reflecting, I guess. It's yeah. A, um, you know, people are always asking about, the, about what it was like back then, you know. And well, I think there's a real fascination know, about yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how it all evolves, you know, because when you retire then it's still very contemporary and yeah. t- talking about now and actually happening now and then obviously as the years go by, the generations come and go, you know, because already now, like a generation of cyclists, possibly 10 years or even eight years yep. and, uh, you know, some guys have longer longer careers, others shorter. But, um, you know, it's possibly already been two or three generations uh, since I retired, yep. you know, and... And things change, you know. Even Lance is saying that, you know, he's he's kind of off the back as far as uh, what's going on in teams. George, uh, yeah, George knows it a little bit because he's got his own team. Hancap, so, yeah, George Hancap. So he's he's a bit more relevant because uh, you know he's got his own team, so he's got contemporary riders there. But um, 
you know, you can only, you know, just by reading cycling news or what's going on or watching the, the TV is, is one thing, but, you know, knowing what's going on the insides, you know, totally, totally different. Well, mate, I really appreciate you mm. coming on the Howie Games. Um, I hope it was as enjoyable for you as it was for me. Um, yep. And uh, I guess next time I see you, you'll be riding a unicycle and the world yeah, will be Yeah, 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 that's right, because you live down... Bowen Heads. Bowen Heads, yeah. nice. Yeah, okay. I'd love to do every podcast down here, especially with that little... Uh, point down there at Kennet River. Yeah. Very, very yeah, nice yeah. this morning. Good on you, Phil. Cheers. Phil Anderson, as I said at the start, a down-to-earth, ripping Aussie bloke. Don't forget to check out Phil's website, philandersoncycling.com.au. That's philandersoncycling.com.au. All sorts of tours on there where you can go cycling with Phil. Thanks to Phil for his time and his wonderful stories. Darcy Thompson for putting this little baby together. And as always, thanks to you legends for listening. Until Thursday, October 10, with V8 superstar Scotty McLaughlin. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.